0: Alright, welcome to the As Promised bonus update, just a quick update, I'm sure you're all very well aware by now, the update of the Murdoch guilty of murder, we talked about this last night, today he would be sentenced and I'm sure again you all are very well aware he was sentenced to life in prison for both murder cases of his wife and son, so at age 54 he will now spend the rest of his life in prison. As we know, they could have sought the death penalty, prosecutors could have, and for whatever reasons, they did not and just went with life in prison, which will be hard enough for him. I'm sure he will not have an easy time in prison given his background and the publicity of this case, but that will remain to be seen. But he is fortunate that, in my opinion, they did not seek that angle because had they found him guilty and and gotten that sentence, he very likely in his lifetime would have had that carried out because South Carolina is a state that has a death penalty and is not afraid to use it, as they say. Uh, You see a lot of times cases, South Carolina, Florida, and Texas, and Missouri next to me sometimes does as well. Now, Illinois, where I live, no longer has a death penalty. We did at one time. That's where John Wayne Gacy, some of you might be familiar with that case, a serial killer that killed a lot of young boys and young men in the Chicago area in the 70s and very early 1980s, 33 total, I believe, maybe a little more, and at that time, Illinois had a death penalty, and in the mid-90s, I think it was, 94, 95, somewhere in there, he actually was put to death, and did a lot of his time at Menard, which is in Chester, Illinois, which is not too far from me here, And had that been given in this case he most likely would have had that carried out in his lifetime uh, a lot of states do have them have death penalties and don't use them where they're on the books in illinois it was just you know done away with it is no longer on the books other states like california it's still legal and on the books and they still have people on death row but They're not really carrying out a lot of them, and they're not giving out new death sentences. But he was spared that for whatever reason and was given two life sentences for these cases. And the judge said he felt the evidence in this case was, quote, overwhelming. So now a lot of people think this will be anticlimactic, so to speak, because now the only thing left is for him to be brought up on the massive amount of financial and white-collar crimes, about 99 to 100 counts, roughly, according to estimates. I don't think that'll be the case. Uh, I think this is going to possibly show the prosecution's angle and confirm their Angle They took in this case was showing that he committed these murders to gather sympathy because he knew soon the lid was going to be blown off these financial and white-collar crimes he had committed, massive ones. You know, it was uh, embezzling a lot of money from his ba- family business and the firm, the law firm he was involved in, pr- apparently been charged with some drug trafficking, been charged with tax evasion, which we've done several podcasts on that, if they get him for any of these I guarantee that's probably one they will end up getting him on. And possibly some other fraud cases as well. But all in all, he's looking at about 99 or 100 different counts of various financial crimes still to be determined. But that could come into play in a very important way because if he does appeal this, and it's a long shot any time you go for an appeal, but let's say it does happen and he gets this appeal over turned gets his conviction overturned in appeal he could conceivably walk the streets a free man again but the evidence in this i think in the white collar crime cases these are going to be easier to prove than a murder and it was said today i did read you know last night i talked about how it was hard for a you know to kind of read in the mind of a jury and we don't really Probably won't ever know the true meaning behind a lot of what they did and the the things that heavily influenced them. But one juror did state the damning evidence to him that was able to help him convict Murdaugh and put him away was the fact the son's video phone video just minutes before that where Alex Murdoch can be heard in the background talking and it confirmed that he was in this area of course he did later admit he lied to police and he was in that area multiple times that day leading right up to the time of the murder so that might have played the biggest role of all and like I said part of the prosecution's theory of it was he committed this double murder to gain some sympathy as he knew that the doors were closing in on him and he was about to be really hammered for his massive amount of financial crimes that he's been alleged to do. And like I said, I think these will be easier to prove and could provide the state and the prosecution a little bit of a safety net. They, If this case is appealed, again, I think it is a long shot anytime you appeal a case and it won't be any different with this case. And I think once these financial crime details come out, it may make it easier to confirm the prosecution's case and make it a little easier to confirm the guilty verdict that was passed down by the juror. So we don't know, but I think that's going to actually help them. And as I said a second ago, that's going to give them somewhat of a safety net in case he is, this gets his appeal overturned, he doesn't just walk right out the door, which he would were these financial crimes not pending. But... I'm not going to bank on either, but in my opinion, this really doesn't make it anticlimactic because just for this reason, it is important. It could help show the motives that led to these murders, and it could also, like I said just a second ago, provide a little bit of a safety net to ensure he doesn't walk out on the streets and see the light of day again, which were this not happening, he very well could. Now, we never know what can happen in the justice system. I don't know that this will be the case, but like I said to my wife earlier, they may not prove all 99 or 100 of these counts, but I'm pretty sure they'll get a few of them regardless. So he's still looking at doing some time regardless of what goes on in this murder case. And I believe his attorneys have said they will appeal this within the next 10 days. How quickly it moves through the South Carolina court system, who knows. I imagine it will take a while because this case certainly took a while to try, you know, about six weeks and a three-hour verdict roughly or a three-hour deliberation before they came to a verdict. So it'd be interesting to see how this all comes about, but it may not move Terribly quickly, I don't know that it'll move as quickly as this first round did here at the trial level, but again, it will just have to be how quickly they do in South Carolina. I'm not familiar with their court system much or how fast they would move things, but I imagine it will take a little bit, but I am curious to see, and we certainly will be following on this podcast the trials and any legal developments in these financial crimes because that's the main focus of this podcast although we've covered this case and again i think uh, bethany one of our leader listeners down in south carolina who brought this to my attention prior to it really becoming a nationwide phenomenon And it really much is tied to white-collar crime because you have all the elements here. You have greed, gluttony, all these different types of things that are so often prevalent in white-collar crime. It's prevalent in this case as well. And it very much shows once again that the greed and lust for that almighty dollar is once again a... Pivotal factor in the crimes that were committed, and this is unfortunately just like some of the recent cases we've covered with Paul Curry a couple weeks ago and then Craig Rabinowitz the week before that, I believe, where unfortunately sometimes the greed and lust for the almighty dollar causes white-collar crime to lead to murder. In some very unfortunate cases, it happened, and I believe that's what happened here. Again, we'll see what happens with the appeal and what happens with these financial crimes but I'm pretty sure with 99 to 100 counts of various financial crimes facing him the likelihood of him being convicted at least on a few of them and still getting some time are are pretty overwhelming here but again if the appeal for the murder sticks up then I guess his only other option would be to appeal to the South Carolina Supreme Court and who knows they don't have to hear his case so they may not that may be his only hope but if he is not able to get this overturned, then he will do the life sentence for both of these murders. And at age 54, he still might live a while. He's still a fairly young guy, so he may live a while. And we won't have to speculate, as we often do, what their beha- his behavior will be like when he's released from prison. If he will be able to commit any other types of crimes, financial or otherwise, that is not likely going to be an issue if this case does hold up. But we are going to keep an eye on the financial crimes of this as well because that was a big factor in what he did and he claimed of course part of his defense was I think he tried to gather some sympathy for the opioid abuse and the addiction he claimed that led to his paranoia and that's why he lied to the police but the jury didn't buy it and I certainly don't think from the demeanor that I saw that the judge was buying it either of course the judge doesn't determine guilt or innocence but referees the trial and as we could tell in sentencing, he certainly didn't buy any of the claims or the defenses. So, it's a quite a fall from grace. Like I said before, he came from a pretty powerful grandfather and father who were very prominent country, uh, attorneys in the southern South Carolina area. There, the town where this took place, that I believe is called Water, uh, Walterboro. So, you know, a little small town, but a lot of stuff happening here and this was a very wealthy prominent family in that area for a lot of generations basically for over the past hundred years from what was reported very prominent powerful wealthy attorneys in the low country here but that's come to a crashing halt and the very thing he thought would maybe be a defense and garner some sympathy for the jury the drug addiction might have been part of what did him in because it certainly led I guarantee to the greed to get involved in the drug trafficking and and the various embezzlement and other types of financial crimes he's alleged to have committed. That certainly fueled that and played a role in it and certainly, unfortunately, probably made it easier for him to commit the murders that he has now been convicted of. So we'll keep an eye on the financial crimes. This case, we will not uh, be taking a break just because the murder case has been resolved because we are very much in this podcast interested in the financial crimes aspect of this case and all the cases we cover as well so we will be i'm sure doing some updates on this very soon if you uh, have an idea just like i got the idea for this podcast please reach out and initially we had like i said a listener in south carolina that brought this to my attention and if you have any ideas please let us know we'd be glad to to get them on the air here or be glad to have you on as a guest we've had listeners join us as well and in fact going to be having a guest here in the next couple weeks so be sure and tune in this tuesday night for a podcast on pete rose the hit king of baseball and see how white collar crime bought him a brief time in prison and has kept him out of the baseball hall of fame very interesting one there and a lot of others coming up soon We're Like I said before, we're going to cover uh, white-collar crime and greed from a deadly sin kind of angle, and we'll take a look at that from a theological perspective. And like I said, just please like us on Facebook and join us each week, and we do appreciate that. The numbers continue to grow for this podcast, and we're very appreciative and thankful for that. I'll always check out my website, Ryan-Horn.com. Voiceover work, got some audio books out. Going to be announcing another one coming out with Cherry Hills Publishing very soon. Maybe then hopefully in the next podcast or two, you'll have some news on that. And as always, adopt your next best friend. They certainly need it. Hope you're nice where and dry where you're at. We have had horrible flooding and storms, high winds in our area. A lot of damage been done. And like I said, it's that's not the case tonight. First time in a while i've done a podcast after the last about the last three probably there's been pretty scary weather going on most of the time it seems or at least most of the last few ones i've done not the case it's pretty calm and peaceful after a very volatile day weather wise a lot of flooding and a lot of high wind and that's the case all over i believe there's some tornadoes that have been going on south of us and there was one in kentucky and i heard today it probably could be some in arkansas and louisiana so if you're listening from that area hope you're safe and God bless all of you for listening and tuning in. We will see you Tuesday night for the Pete Rose podcast. Take care, everybody.